Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum podcast. A bit like an excellent hand in a game of Uno, the final round had it all. Goal of the year in contenders, live ladder, adrenaline and even a draw to get top four. But there can only be Uno. So a month-long finals campaign kicks off next week and 2022's second premier will soon be crowned. Hi, my name is Tess Armstrong and I love draws. To discuss further my love <laughs> of draws and maybe some other things, I'm joined by two of my Sanctum siblings and I'll let them introduce themselves. Hello, it's Lucy Race here and yes, it's Uno, not you know. <laughs> Hi, it's Nicole Hayes here and I was like 45 when I learned that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, happy Halloween week to you both. There has been some spooky incidences over the weekend. Forget ghouls and witches. A couple of our AFLW teams this week were haunted by some familiar baddies. Gold Coast had GWS for the pies. It was their forward line not able to fire. And for Melbourne, they were haunted by a familiar foe percentage. Dun, dun, dun. I'm sorry, Lou. <laughs> I know you're still a bit of a D at heart and percentage got him again. I am a bit of a D and yeah, shout out to Louise Skess who wrote a piece um, in collaboration with Siren Sport and it was published on the ABC website about AFLW fandom and how wonderful it is that many of us do have more than one team. <laughs> it's special. Don't take it this away so from special. us. It's rewriting the rules and I like it in, I really like it. Why do we have to do everything the way that everyone else has always done it? The reason that we do often see that we have really fond feelings for, for more than one team is because it is just that beautiful atmosphere of collegiality, support, there's storylines to you know bring you along and I'm here for it. Same. Kind of the opposite of spooky stories. <laughs> I feel like a, I was going to say I feel like a bad AFLW fan because I don't have another team, but actually I do, I realise, because I love Brisbane. I feel while it is about, you know, magnanimity, is that the word? Being magnanimous. And you're the you're word the person. <laughs> <laughs> but not the speaker. I am the writer. But anyway, <laughs> I know how to spell it if that helps. Um, and, you know, like the celebration of family and just inclusiveness and all the rest of it. It was also because I didn't have a team playing like that. Mm. So that was also a really kind of the way it uh, evolved organically like that. It did lend itself to people having to find uh, a team to invest in. So, you know, even though there might have been um, concerns about that, the fact that we now have a full composite, I think, has allowed us to hold on to that multi-team faith. Absolutely. Uh, now, it was a pretty wild 
final round. There was a lot going on and a lot of exciting games. Lucy, what were some of the highlights? You can have as many as you like because Emma Race isn't here, so you can just go for it. (laughs) Gosh, I love this. Anarchy. Rewriting the rules. For highlights, I cannot go past just the drama of this whole round and the fact that the ladder was as big a character as any of the teams playing. The game that really did it for me was that Melbourne game, though, Tess. You mentioned it up front. (laughs) Once again, coming down to trying to get the right score so that they could get enough percentage and steal top spot away from Brisbane, who seriously remind me of Robocop. Like they cannot do a thing wrong. (laughs) It's so good. They're so good. Um, But just watching that game that was, of course, like terrible for West Coast to be at the hands of, you know, such a, a big defeat. But watching Melbourne trying to get that score in really tough conditions out at Casey, as always, just Casey conditions, we should call them <laughs> from now on, um, gale force winds and rain and all the rest. What I really loved, though, was that Shelley Heath kicked her second career goal right at the end of that fourth quarter. There was about a minute, two minutes to go. And when Shelley Heath kicked that goal, it actually meant that it was a real possibility that they could get the score. Um, It wasn't to be. They've missed top spot by 0.3%. But, you know, and the ramifications of that are huge because (laughs) it means that if it does end up being Brisbane and Melbourne at the end for the grand final, Mm. it'll be another grand final in Queensland. Mm. So I think there are a lot of fans in Victoria who were hoping that the Demons might be able to just pinch that. Can I have a second? I'm just going to sneak in my second highlight. I've decided that. Yes, you can have a second just today. Just today. Um, I just want to shout out the Cats who've gone from being such a defensive unit who often failed to find the scoreboard. They kicked the second highest AFLW score on the weekend. They're the (laughs) second side to kick over 100 points. And I've just loved the way that they have just developed this in this season seven, you know, becoming a team that is really, really Uh, high scoring. Some of their ball movement was absolutely sublime. Yep. I love watching them play. I'm very torn in this household, as you know, Mm. because obviously Mm. the Cats needed us, needed Richmond to lose uh, to get top four. And so there was a bit of tension in my house yesterday about us drawing. And don't you think it's funny, you mentioned the Ds not being able to win by as much as they needed or whatever. I've never seen a weirder celebration like it looked like they'd lost on the final side and they were so disappointed, like, oh, so flat about it. I thought you just, you know, had an incredible win to show off what you can do. <sighs> and then on the flip side, Richmond drawing and then celebrating like we'd won. And I thought, oh, this game continues to surprise me. And one fun stat about the Geelong game that this came on Twitter from Lachlan Essing. Now, Geelong and Sydney first played in the men's competition, round five, 1897. There was a player called Teddy Rankin on the field. Teddy. Teddy. Like me. Uh, he's, I think we're related. Uh, Geelong versus Sydney played each other for the first time in AFLW history, and Georgie Rankin was playing, and Teddy is her great great grandfather. Oh, Isn't that just beautiful? That Super. is so beautiful. I love it. That. continues on family history. I loved how some of those players didn't seem to know what score they needed for <laughs> to finish on the ladder, though. And I think, you know, it was that funny disconnect that we were all watching it knowing what they needed to score. I kind of wonder if everyone was totally aware of that. I mean, it's hard enough to 
calculate percentage at the best yeah. of times. Yeah, also to do maths while yeah. you're running, while you're yeah. puffed. I couldn't percentage do that. Percentage of a percentage. I, yeah. It reminded me of, you know, when you've got seconds left in the game and it's the, the win is on the line and it's like the players, they're taking their time like they don't realise that there's like literal seconds and we're all <laughs> screaming and somebody must be communicating with them but it feels like they're not responding at all. It's so frustrating but also <laughs> it just heightens the tension. Doesn't it? Oh, Totally. It was glorious. Nick, what about you? What were some of your highlights? You know, it's the end of the season, um, the end of the second season for this year, (laughs) no less. And so the inevitable retirements uh, crop up. I was going to start with the um, Tanya Hetherington at Mm. GWS, Mm. whose beautiful and really heartfelt uh, announcement to her team uh, on socials, GWS socials, maintaining their standard from the beginning. Uh, Really beautiful uh, announcement, but also just how she mentions Cora Staunton and how she's played all of her games alongside her. I just, a real testament to the team and the way the GWS really bonds together. She got to go down forward, which she's never done before in her 46 <laughs> games, and it didn't end up in a goal, but they ended up with a win against G, uh, against Gold Coast. Also in that game, it happened to be Cora Staunton's 50th, so that was a lot of fun too and lots of talk about whether she's coming back because, you know, I don't know if you know this, girls, but she Cora's 40 now. <laughs> I don't think they mentioned that enough. Hang on. Is she an Irish woman? She, I think she's Irish. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll have to check that. I'm pretty sure she's Irish. Um, another exciting moment from that game, though, was Ashanti Bush. Oh. Uh, her <laughs> was ridiculous. absolutely ridiculous. Uh, she had a couple of blinding moments, and I cannot wait to see uh, what she brings to the season next year because, of course, she's um, Gold Coast is also out. But, look, it was a good win to GWS, and, um, and I think – you know they can. There's a lot they can take out of this season, but we'll but more on that later. And the other key retirements were both in the same game, which I thought was very cool. Uh, the Frio versus Hawks match over at Frio, uh, a double retirement, one from each team. So we'll, <laughs> unless we had another draw, which thankfully we're safe from, not a fan. Um, one of them will go, we're not going to go out a winner, but let's not lie. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. They are all winners. Cara, Antonio, Juddy, Frio, inaugural player, uh, foundation club. I think she was the second. She was like one of, she was one of their marquee players. So she was recruited right from the beginning. That was her 47th game. She was um, an All-Australian in that first year and was the captain of the team for the first three seasons, heart and soul of Frio, and ended up with the win. I love that. Um, the and the on the other side we had Jeff D- Jess Duffin playing for Hawthorne with her final game. Um, she obviously has played at Collingwood and North as well, um, and this was just her first season at the Hawks, but really left an impact. Came into the side and. Um, brought that experience and that level-headedness and also kicked a lot of goals for our team at, at clutch moments too. I love that they both had key goals. So Jess kicked the first one for the match and then Kara kicked the goal that took Frio to the front, which though that hurt me was was quite poetic. And they both ended up with two goals too, which I thought was also mm. quite delightful. Jess Duffin, obviously 42 matches, and she played all 10 this season, which for a retiring mm-hmm. player is not bad at all and was hugely influential in some of those wins. Um, two-time All-Australian, took a year off to have a baby, came back and continued her outstanding form. Incredible athlete, obviously, because she played cricket um, internationally. So watching those two, saying farewell to those two, it's a really big moment, I think, you know, seeing these inaugural players 
retire at this point. Big moment for AFLW. Lots of emotions. Mm. I'm a real couch crier, so I went hard on the weekend. Um, well, for me, I've got two. I'm going to go with a sneaky two. For me, uh, it's her. It's always been her, Ellie Blackburn. I just, oh, Ellie. That doll on Friday night, that leadership, she's just a joy to watch. And I think clutch. I'd run through a wall 100% clutch. clutch. Yeah, she just All would. <laughs> she just would do that. If you haven't have you haven't watched the goal, just go back and just have a little sneaky squeeze on the highlights. And um Forboat on Twitter, if you uh, you know, at Forboat on Twitter, put it out there. Just who would play Ali Blackburn in a biopic, which feels very on brand for us. So we've had a little bit of a chat about it um online, but I've just been Googling. One of the options we had was Florence Pugh, right? I feel like Florence Pugh could do it. Good actress. Oh, I can see that could come here and learn the game, which I think would be a bit of fun. But I'm going to put a sneaky one out there. Sandra Bullock, young Sandra Bullock, Mm. looks like Ali Blackburn. Now get Googling. I'll put a little face mash together and probably put it on our socials. But that's who I'm going for. I don't know if we can go back in time, but in this world, I think we can. I love that we can do that. I love that we can go back in time. Well, I'm just going to send you both a little uh, mashup that I've done. That I think you should have one a I prepared look at earlier. That one I prepared earlier. My vote is for a dark-haired Emma Stone. Ooh, you can just see yes. a little picky popping up on oh, your hello. group chat now, oh. and I, I think you're going to be you're going to find it hard to go past that. Lucy Race. I'm very impressed by this. Mm. I mean, I still think um, Sandra wow. Bullock Young, but whatever. I'm I'm happy to be to be corrected. He'd mentioned Shersha Ronan, who I think could do anything, even despite having a completely different face. Uh, I think she's a talented actress <laughs> and could po- probably do it. Um, my other highlight, so that's Ali, Ali Gold, Ali everything, obviously. Now, my other highlight also came from the Freo Hawks game, and it wasn't Juddie's goals in her finale though that was fantastic. It was a mystery solved. You know when you have a personal mystery in your household and you just, Mm. it it feels like there's no way you can get to the bottom of this bizarre internal mystery. Now, every time I've been watching these uh, Freo home games, I've been hearing this extraordinary sound (laughs) that is just, I couldn't explain it. I didn't know what it was. It's not the air raid siren, although that gives me a fright every time. (laughs) It It was a noise, a human noise after every goal and I couldn't understand what was happening and we thought we're the only people in the world to hear it. Now, this is what I was hearing. Remarkable, isn't it? Like, what is that noise? So I was messaging the group chat. I was saying, are you guys hearing the noise? Lucy said she hadn't heard it, which makes me feel like I should be in in asylum. Nick said she had heard it, which made me feel better. So I messaged a source on the inside. That's friend of the pod, Melanie Ray, who was at the game. She was at the ground. (laughs) The poor thing was just trying to enjoy the football. And I put her to work. I said, what is that noise that I'm hearing? And she told me the best piece of information I think I've ever heard, and I can't believe I didn't know it. It's Roxy Rue's mum. <laughs> I love it. Now, love it. I had to read the message a number of times and then I Googled and so I'll post the article in the show notes. It goes into detail and there's a little example. But Roxy Rue's mum is called Gail Kinsell and she's Zimbabwean born and it's an African war cry. So every time the Frio girls get the goal, you hear that war cry. Now that might be the highlight of my whole footy life and I may never need to do this segment again because it was a mystery solved and just the best. And Roxy Rue's celebration with her, getting the guns out, like what, what a legend, what a legendary family now. I'm all about the Rue's. Can I also mention after that game uh, seeing Beck Goddard being interviewed, you 
know, you wouldn't have known she just lost that match. Um, she just was so joyful and so proud of Jess, but of the whole team. I don't think anyone, you know, we're not revealing any secrets to say that this probably was, they exceeded expectations, I think, in terms of what uh, people thought was going to happen this season as being a, a new team. And she could not get the smile off of her face. And I just <laughs> thought that's why we need Beck Goddard. That's why she's great for football. She's great for Hawthorne. Um, but just generally that we need her in the public space, bringing her energy and her wit and her just her resilience um, because it was just lovely to see her so proud and so vocal and also funny because she always is. And also shout out to two old Darabin Falcon teammates, <laughs> Natalie Wood and Lauren Arnell, who coached against against each other on the weekend. And I loved seeing, I think we had a little picture up on our Instagram account showing the two of them sitting there in their Falks jumpers and seeing them coach against each other was pretty awesome too. When you could see, because it was quite damp and uh, <laughs> we still don't seem to have any solution for keeping rain off cameras in AFLW uh, I've, games. I've heard this thing called the umbrella. I wonder if they could apply that. Don't know. Let's you can see. get them down the pharmacy. I could have just picked one up at the servo, I reckon, and taken it over the road. Uh, well, the, the finals are set and we're going to catch up shortly with AFLW analyst and friend of the show, Gemma Bastiani. We'll get a proper review of the first week of finals. But we've got a farewell 10 teams and we've really just got to applaud a, an enormous effort, whether it was your team's first season ever or your team's second season of the year, which uh, there's never going to be another footy year quite like this one. And you all deserve a break and a silly Sunday. But let's just have a little chat about the teams that aren't going to be playing finals. Just a, a, a sanctum style review of the uh, of the 10 that didn't make it. So I'm going to be looking at numbers 9, 10, 11 on the ladder, which is Gold Coast, Essendon and GWS. A, a a bright trio, let's be fair, in colour. It's a bit on the eyes when all the colours are together, but also a bright a bright trio in season takeaways. Now, they haven't quite made it, but they've really had some big moments. For me, I'm a massive nerd, so I looked to the uh, Star Wars original trilogy to try and explain the three teams and how I think they went. So let's start with Star Wars A New Hope, a classic. That, to me, is the Gold Coast Suns. Now, they've got a lot of hope. Great moments from them over the season. Lots of improvement. We met young plucky heroes. We don't know what's going to happen to them yet. We don't know what befalls them in the future. But we're going to settle in for the rest of the films and see how we go. Empire Strikes Back. Now, as a 90s kid, I know that this doesn't stack up, but Essendon are still the Empire. Now, they are still the, the successful club in my memory, <laughs> despite all of the evidence for the last 20 years. But to see their women's team come into the competition and just look perfectly at home in the elite competition with heaps of firepower and potential, the Death Star has nothing on Tullamarine. That's all I'm saying. Now, Return <laughs> of the Jedi. To me, the Jedi is Cora Staunton. You mentioned her before. She's returned from Ireland <laughs> year after year. She's played 50 consecutive games, which is just absolutely outrageous. Yesterday, yesterday she kicked 50, her 55th goal in her 50th consecutive AFLW game, and she is, as mentioned before, 40 years old. So, Cora Skywalker, we salute, we salute you, and um, <laughs> I hope she comes back. I hope she comes back. She's got to. She's got to. And yeah. maybe with some Ewoks, I'm just putting it out there because that would complete this scenario for me. So that's me. Lou, who are you looking back on? 
Oh, well, I've got kind of the, oh, this is a hard one. This is the didn't quite get where we wanted them to get. So I'm looking at the teams that were on 12th, 13th and 14th, which are Fremantle, St Kilda and Blues. Unlike you, I didn't go to films. I went to music (laughs) to Mm. try and give a bit of a sense of mine. So looking at Fremantle, who played a preliminary final in season six and then finished 12th this season with only three wins and one draw. There was some good stuff there. They were great against the Crows. Um, They were pretty good against the Ds. They finished with two wins in a row. So there's a a few things to celebrate there, but clearly injuries took their toll. Um, They had seven with season ending injuries by by the end of the season. I could have gone with a film I could have gone with uh, the 2006 classic failure to launch with friend of the pod, Matthew McConaughey, but I didn't. I, I went with a song, I went with Let Down by Radiohead. I know that that might seem harsh because one of the lyrics is, that, or some of the lyrics are, the emptiest of feelings, disappointed people. But I just want to highlight to you that that song ends with the lyric, floating, bouncing back, and one day I'm going to grow wings. So even though they didn't quite deliver on what we thought next season, I think we're going to see some improvement. Then I go to the Saints. Uh, The Saints, look, they finished 13th in Season 6 and 13th in Season 7. Unfortunately, that's just slightly different because there's more teams. So that's maths (laughs) for you, my friends. Um, But they had three wins. They... Those three wins were over three of the expansion teams, Port, Hawthorne and the Swans. Hawthorne, they absolutely smashed. They had a really solid win over the Swans as well. They just snuck over Port by two points. And I think they'd be disappointed that they lost to teams like Gold Coast and also the Cats. So we're kind of comparing them to other teams that came in around the same time as them. And Mm. they're, they're probably just a little bit off the mark. But that final game of the season against the Crows um, that we saw on the weekend, they really gave the Crows a scare. So I think there's a bit there. Um, that was probably their best performance and I think they'll build on that. So I'm going to go with step by step Whitney Houston <laughs> as my little uh, song for song for the Saints. Nice, and nice. the lyrics that I just want to highlight there are and there's a road I have to follow, a place I have to go. Well, no one's told me just how to get there, but when I get there I'll know because I'm taking it step by step. Nice. I believe in you, Saints. Can't wait for season eight. Love it. (laughs) And then we go to Carlton. Mm. Where do we go? Great jumpers. This was tough, right? So Carlton Mm. had some really big losses in the off-season. They lost seven players, including Maddie Presbarkas. They had a number of injuries that were, you know, pretty tough this year. They had some times when people were ill. But, you know, in season six, they finished eighth on four wins. In season seven, they had two wins. They had two draws. So for me, Carlton's season, I'm going to go to the Eagles. There's going to be a heartache tonight because it was always heartache. There was that last game on the weekend where we thought they were going to win, Ellie kicks that goal, they lose by three points. Um, those draws, you've got it right there and you just can't just can't get there. So it's been a bit of a heartache well, I think, for the Blues. True. Yeah, bless them. That's very true. I, uh, I get the bottom four teams. Uh, 
which so I'll start with Hawthorne. They had their three wins, seven losses. I have to say there was a bit of a shaky start and I know that we all in our private little, especially amongst the Hawkers in Outer Sanctum, had a little bit of a, a crying whisper. Oh, no, are we going to even one, win one game? Um, so we were all a bit nervous for a bit. But then, you know, we sort of hit our stride in around the middle of the season and won the three in a row, lost a couple close ones that we're, that we're almost in for, definitely got some momentum and picked things up. So I was thinking it reminded me most of Severance. So you guys mm. that are familiar with the sci-fi series on Apple, it started off for the first few episodes where I literally had no idea what was happening <laughs> and I wasn't entirely sure I was going to be able to see it through. Um, but then Ben Stiller, a.k.a. Beck, uh, Beck Goddard, stepped up um, and with Adam Scott and Patricia Arquette or Tilly Lucas Rod and Jess Duffin taking the reins, we picked up, you know, we got some clarity around where, where we were going and I began to invest on a much deeper level and really it that second half just kind of it, they drove it home and finished on a bit of a cliffhanger thriller um, for the mm. Hawks. It was against Frio, but obviously for Severance, it was a very big climactic thriller moment. <laughs> so um, at the end of that, I have big expectations of Severance and Hawthorne season two. Love it. So that was my that were my Hawks. Then we come to the West Coast uh, with their two wins and eight losses. They are the youngest side in the competition. And really struggled with a whole lot of issues around, you know, a lot of bad luck and circumstances that worked against them. The extra travel, they had COVID issues over the last couple of years that have plagued them continually. And so it brought to mind Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad. Very young, inexperienced, <laughs> kind of a little exploited by the, um, you know, the, the the mentor character or the more established team, Frio. Um <laughs> I just think that, as with Jesse Pinkman, who had a rough time for a long time, he did eventually kind of come to the fore. And once he freed himself of the ties that bind, luck turned his way. There were more circumstances, and he ended up the winner of it all. So I'm hopeful West Coast <laughs> is going to be able to turn it around too, just like Jesse Pinkman mm, did. Hope, <laughs> hope, hope is a is a theme in these bottom teams. I have to say. <laughs> uh, next, we have Port. And they had their one win, eight losses and a draw. They only had 361 points kicked against them, which amongst those uh, lower teams is actually pretty good. Um, they had their big name recruit, Erin Phillips, and Gemma Houghton uh, having them come on to the side that I imagine expectations are pretty high. But it also made me think of sibling rivalries because Port <laughs> is sharing um, a state with the most successful AFLW side, and they are very much the little sister in that scenario. So I thought of a league of their own where mm. Kit is the port to the Crows Dotty. <laughs> and much like Kit, Port spent has spent a lot of time in the shadows of her older sibling, but I do feel like they're gearing up to make their own mark, just like Kit does in A League of Their Own. I'm hoping with a fewer tantrums and maybe not so much bad sportsmanship, but I think once they, you know, they're breathing fire, that they will be able to draw on that experience and carve their own path in the same Beautiful. way that Kit does. Just Kit, they end up friends at the end, don't they? 
I don't see that happening between Adelaide and Port, but, you know, up the rest of it's good. <laughs> AFLW, though, you never know. There's a lot of friendliness when it's unexpected. That's true. We'll see. And for the final team, we have Sydney, who had 10 losses. And um, look, they went early and they went hard. Uh, they got Scott Gowans early on. They recruited Brooke Lachland and Alicia Newman. And, of course, they got number one draft pick, Montana Ham. So there was a lot of expectation around Sydney early on and a lot of promise. I think it's fair to say they didn't quite deliver. And um, Lucy's suggestion of the song The Only Way Is Up is a, is a nice <laughs> one. I like that. Um, but I did I, – I probably wasn't quite as positive as that. <laughs> I saw it as very similar to John Carter. That film that had so much going for it, you know, Taylor Kitsch and Brian Cranston, directed by Andrew Stanton, who, you know, of Pixar fame, incredible writer and director. Look, it didn't go as well as they would have liked. Not John Carter or Sydney's season, but Andrew Stanton did make a big comeback after the John Carter disaster and he ended up writing Finding Dory and Toy Story 4, Stranger Things. He's even done some bits on Better Call Saul. So I am hopeful that Sydney (laughs) too will take heart from Andrew Stanton's career and will also go in that direction where it is only up. (laughs) They're bound to. (laughs) They're bound to. That's perfect and good on them all, to be honest. It's been a big, it's been a big year. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Craig Starsevich and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Well, a finals preview is you're coming your way, but we better roll up our long sleeve Carlton jumpers because they're the best in my opinion and Malay about just one of the most remarkable weeks where a story we've talked about for a really long time a, a, a melting pot of different things sports and politics and, and sponsorship came to a real head this week in two significant ways the first uh move over Jamie Elliott there's a new clutch player in town Danelle Wallum I've I can't think of another moment in recent sporting history where someone who is under so much external pressure, you know, I don't think that's of her own doing, but someone who's become an externally talked about person who has never made their debut, makes her debut for the Diamonds, comes on, wins them the game in the most like incredible dying seconds moments and then gets to be the hero. It's just one of the most remarkable sporting stories I can ever remember. And another big moment this week is a video released by the Socceroos ahead of the World Cup in Qatar where all of the players speak very clearly, very specifically about the journey they've been on to learn about human rights, about migrant workers, about LGBTIQ plus discrimination, and they've gone on a journey, they've learned about it, and they've put out this video where they specifically state what they've learned and what they want to be done about it. It is just remarkable leadership. They're the first team in the in the world to put out something like this. There's been talk of players 
around the world wearing, um, you know, a rainbow armband when they go to play. But this really sets a, a high level standard um, of what could be expected from teams around the world. There's an amazing article done by Vince Rigari in the Nine Papers. He interviewed Jackson Irvine, who is a, a Socceroos midfielder. You might know him in the video. He's got the mm. tats and the beanie and the very remarkable eyes. He's a driving force behind this video and he kind of speaks a lot about you're allowed to have an opinion and people might might you know call you a critic a, a hypocrite because what about your own backyard but he said we should be talking about our own backyard and it's just this amazing article where he talks about being a player and finding your voice and so I'll put that in the show notes and speak a bit more about that in a moment but Lucy what did you make of this week well isn't it interesting to again you know find ourselves in a week where people are saying keep politics out of sport as if that is even possible. (laughs) Um, You know, we've basically made a whole podcast about talking about politics in sport (laughs) because let's not like mince Hmm. words, that's what we do here. Since 2016, pretty much every single episode, Mm -hmm. we are talking about the political implications around sport. And there was another great piece in the Nine Papers by Marnie Vinyl uh, talking about this. And one of the quotes from um, the academic that she interviewed was basically saying, you know, when you say keep politics out of sport, it's like, oh, you mean keep the politics that you don't like out of sport? Because to silence people and to say that you can't take a stance or talk about your values means that you're basically just happy with the status quo and the status quo is also political. I'd really like to just dig in a little bit on Gina Reinhart's statement. So when Gina withdrew her $15 million of funding from Netball Australia, she put out a statement or Hancock Prospecting put out a a statement saying that it's unnecessary for sports organisations to be used as the vehicle for social or political causes. Secondly, and this is another quote, there are more targeted and genuine ways to progress social or political causes without virtue signalling or self-publicity. And to this I say what Hancock and other corporations are often trying to do is basically their own form of virtue signaling, if you want to use that loaded term, because what they're trying to do is gain social licensing for things that are losing their social license for a number, you know, for whatever reason that is. To ignore that is political. Gina's $15 million was over four years. I just would like to highlight that she is currently worth over $40 billion Australian. I really see her withdrawing that funding as as a very political statement that she's making that she doesn't want to be challenged because mm-hmm. she yeah. got a conversation she didn't want to have. Looking at some of the reaction to this, particularly on social media, and maybe I need to stop looking at social media, but <laughs> a whole lot of it was a lot of sad tweets um, by people saying, well, you know, bad luck netball, you know, get what, you know, get what you get kind of thing. And tweets along the lines of go woke, go broke. And I think that that's worth <laughs> digging in on, right? They love a rhyme, don't they? They do love a rhyme. But also, firstly, define woke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? Is it, you know, we don't want to be talking about human rights? Is it that we don't want to be talking about um, the impacts of colonisation in this country? Is it that we don't want to be talking about the climate emergency? I think, you know, the bigger the bigger question is that we do need to be able to drive investment in sport, particularly in women's sport, and how do we do that? How do we go about it? What are your thoughts, Tess? It's quite, well, 
It's complicated. You know, it's interesting that I feel like Danelle has been spoken about as though she is an activist athlete. You know, I've seen that in the comments. I've seen that in the newspaper headlines. And that's, that's our narrative. She she wasn't doing videos online. She wasn't tweeting every day. She wasn't, you know, there was no street protests. I mean, was it is it activism to say in your workplace, hey, this is what's going on with me? Isn't that your right as an employee mm. in a workplace to say, this is how I'm feeling and this is what's going on and this is important to me? I think that is your right. And also she wasn't the only one. There were former netballers. There was there was a, a big conversation internal netball. And I feel like we once again have picked out an Indigenous person, an Indigenous woman in this in this case, and made her the lightning rod of this conversation and made her accountable for the lot of it. And you heard that in the actual commentary on the night. Um, but even that, you know, she's cost them millions. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's her fault. And I found that really hard because in a team sport there's not one person that's having that conversation there's many people and and it's not a binary conversation Mm. and that is what I find difficult that there's go work or go broke or there's what they're they're so extreme I also noticed under the Socceroos comments there was this recurring thing where they said well you're still going to play you're still going to go well, of course they're going to go. The players didn't bid for the rights of to hold the World Cup. They've worked their absolute backsides off for their whole life to get an opportunity to do the thing they love and they are trying in quite a remarkable way to say, well, we're going but we want this World Cup to be a legacy. We don't want this World Cup to be uh, the downfall of a community as so many uh, sporting events have been around the world through history. They're trying to change the narrative. That is quite nuanced. That is quite complicated. And it's awesome. It's cool. It's a new way of looking at it. It's not saying we're going to go and shut up or we're going to not go. And that's our statement. Things are mm. much more complicated than that. And they're trying to be honest about that. And it's about time the comments section just get honest too, that things aren't so black and white. Okay. And can we also just agree universally that there is no need to both sides joy? Like they <laughs> she in that moment she yes. won a game that was literally yes. in the uh, you know on the cusp it could have gone either way it was an extraordinary accomplishment in that moment that's just joy. Like can we just have that without anybody <laughs> trying Absolutely. to both sides it seriously. And in that moment it established without any words needed why Big corporations want to be involved in sport. They yes. that is that is it. Danelle's actions on the court are why corporations want to be involved in sport because they it is one of the only things that brings people together. We as an Australian, our Australian netballers won a game, amazing. We all get around it, and it is this unifying thing. And so that is what they want to be involved in. But then you don't get to have it one way or you know my way or the highway. And just when you think about Danelle decision to do that she had everything to lose Mm. and nothing to gain personally whether she debuted or not was on the on the brink whether she would alienate fans whether she would even be able to go ahead and play how the response you know what the media response would be all of those pointed towards a negative reaction I guess the only advantage to her was being able to hold her head high to demonstrate the integrity and to make a point on behalf of other people and on behalf of you know a much bigger conversation around human rights and racism the extraordinary bravery behind Mm. that and also it demonstrated enormous trust in her teammates that they would Mm. back her and mm. as you say, that says so much about the team and it says so much about how she's, you know, how she's seen within that team. And so I guess we've seen 
teams come forward, you know, with the with the Socceroos, for example, and make a unified statement like that, where there are there's a broader kind of acknowledgement of an issue versus someone who's had to stand up and then bring in her teammates to support her. I think the most important thing that I take out of this is one, how much more common this is becoming and how, although there was enormous backlash against Danelle in some ways, there was also incredible support, which I think if you look, go back to Colin Kaepernick, who was perhaps one of the more recent standout individuals who didn't necessarily, couldn't necessarily count on his organisation or his team to support him. The blowback against him was was quite profound. So I feel like we've moved a long way in some ways um, and that's a great thing. What's really interesting is some research in recent years that demonstrates how influential professional athletes' political stances have become in changing fans' attitudes. And so my hope is more and better and wider. The more mm-hmm. we see this, the better. Why an, an athlete should have, you know, should not be allowed to be uh, able to use their platform or even just speak up in the same way a normal citizen can. I, I you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. So that's my take. Lou? We, we definitely see a difference in the way that somebody like Danelle Wallen was um, spoken about on social media as opposed to Pat Cummins, who was also making a, a statement about he wouldn't, you know, take part in any sort of sponsorship with Alinta. And it clearly there's a divide in terms of there's a gendered response there that we see and and probably a race-based response as well, unless there's a whole heap of people out there who are just massive fans of billionaires and mining, which could (laughs) also be be in the comments Um, section. There was a great thread by Hayley Rosen, who is the founder and CEO of Just Women's Sports. That's a platform that she created to showcase and support uh, women's sport. And her Twitter thread that we'll link to in the show notes really talks about how there's a difference in the way that men's and women's sport is looked at by sponsors. Men are seen for their potential, whereas women are seen basically around their production, how they're performing Mm. right now. She picks out some US examples, but particularly things like the Major League Soccer in the US, where they struggled for years, but still were able to sell the story to sponsors about getting on board and giving us money. Mm. Whereas women's sport, if they're not bringing you know the gate receipts in now if they're not successful right now people kind of jump don't jump on board or or jump off and we see that here we see it all the time in the cries by people that AFLW needs to pay for itself Mm. rather than saying you know well we need to let it basically just have time to to develop she kind of makes a contention that we need to take the focus away from equal pay and the conversation about what female athletes deserve to really start highlighting the growth potential of women's Mm -hmm. sport. And I think that's something that we do here and we've done in our conversations over the last few years. Yeah, well, I've been chatting this week in my household about essentially going back, you know, scraping our way, everything I know about where sponsorship money comes from. And we are going to do a special pod on this uh, in the coming weeks, just talking about purely sponsorship. Where's the money going to come from? What do we need sport to look like? Um, Because a certain amount of money allows us to have growth in the games that we like. And so it can be a bit complicated. Where is that money going to come from? And if women get, you know, pay equity around the world, but that money's coming from something that we don't align with in values, then where are you going to, what are you going to 
choose, you know, and that is quite a complex conversation for us all to have a think about ourselves. But one thing I thought this week about where money could come from is I thought, what you know, I saw a lot of messages about what if every Australian put a dollar together, you know, and came up with some netball um, funding. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing in Victoria because the Premier of um, Victoria, where, you know, for interstate listeners, we're heading into an election campaign. So there's a lot of stuff getting announced that Maybe last year wouldn't have been announced, but for whatever reason, it, we're, we're heading into an election, so away we go. And the Premier of this state has announced that um, a $15 million partnership, you'll notice that's exactly the amount that Gina Reinhart has <laughs> taken away from Netball Australia, they're partnering, they're partnering with Victoria, so there'll be Victorian branding, <laughs> which is a bit complicated on the diamonds. So, yeah, go the fix um, on their team kit. And the 2023 grand final is going to be in Victoria. And so one state government went, all right, here's an opportunity. That's something that aligns with our values. And away we go. Now he was asked, can, you know, can the taxpayers afford it? And he said, yeah. We absolutely can afford to do that. So that is just fascinating to me because that opens up a whole new world. What if every state took on a sport? <laughs> you get to choose your sport. Someone takes on net basketball. Someone takes on football. I think that could work. It's quite remarkable. Who's taking pommel horse? <laughs> Shoddy. Shoddy what? pommel horse. Isn't that part of the whole magic round? That it's yeah. going to be, you know, oh, and so the, the state or city gets all the footy yeah, and gets all the well, and then I assume gets some money too. Yeah, this is like the magic round of netball, is it? No, not really. <laughs> it's just the Victorian Australian diamonds. So earlier we talked about the teams that aren't quite making it, but gear up because finals week one is looking absolutely hot, hot stuff. We couldn't preview it properly because um, we had to go through Star Wars and rom-coms and stuff like that and so it doesn't really quite suit. So we've had to go to the best brain in the bees. Friend of the show, first of all, is her main title, AFLW analyst for the AFL. She's commentating on JBC Radio. You've probably heard her there. She's co-founder of Siren Sport. Gemma Bastiani, welcome back to the Outer Sanctum. I'm so excited to be back. I'm so privileged to be on on this podcast. Are Are you pumped? Okay, the overarching <laughs> feeling is tired, but yes, yes, I'm absolutely pumped. I think we've got a really good final series pa- on our hands. I love the pause to tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I I, okay. I don't think it's a secret that anyone that works or follows footy um, mm-hmm. is feeling a bit tired after the year we've had. I think that's a fair statement, right? Yeah, I watched Richmond um, the last quarter yesterday and there were so many tackles that I felt winded watching and I thought, <laughs> all right, we all need a break. Like we just need to have a little great final season and then a bit of a rest, um, rest and recuperate, R&R. It's kicking off on Friday, Friday night, an absolute belter, Melbourne versus the Crows. I know Lucy's, you know, relatively nervous and all the Crows out there will be thinking, right, do we have them? We beat them in the grand final. But, Gemma, it's going to be at Icon Park. What, how do you see this going? It's such a fascinating one because there was all that talk pre-season about Melbourne you know, getting redemption from the grand final loss in round one and and all of that sort of stuff. And Melbourne played a really clever game in round one to beat Adelaide by seven points, I believe it was. You just have to wonder how much they can reuse a bunch of those strategies or how much they need to change now that Adelaide knows what they want to do against them. So it's a really big question mark. So Melbourne likes to play this handball-receive game get the ball out of danger with the handball receives and then run the ball or, or use their kicking game, which is really good. But when you come up against a team that is 
a very good pressure side, like we know Adelaide is, like we know Brisbane is, how much of that breaks down. The other factor for Adelaide is no Chelsea Randall, so how do they cope without her? Then you think about in round one, Daisy Pierce played a really important role on Sarah Allen and kept Sarah Allen to three touches. Um, you know, can you do that again or, or will that be less effective this time? There are so many questions about how they'll match up against each other and I'm sure Matthew Clark and Mick Sinier have a whole bunch of ideas <laughs> in their heads that we just don't know about yet. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I really can't pick it. I can't split the difference, so I'm just going to have to do it from the couch. <laughs> I'll decide who I'm barracking for halfway through the game, as I do with every single game. I won't have to do that on um, Saturday uh, at 3.10 to decide who I'm barracking for. The Lions versus my beloved Tigers up in up at the Gold Coast. I feel like, you know, we'd be, we beat Brisbane this year, so that was my grand final. But do you think we can do it again in the sunny state, Gemma? Oh, it is a tricky one. Um, you can say no. You won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> I just love that Nicole's laugh is just like the pause means no. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I, I just think uh, when they when they played um, on men's grand final day earlier this year, what, what Richmond did and what they've done against good sides this season is they've made the game chaotic and messy. They don't allow you to play a systematic game like the best sides do because they just make it a mess. And that levels the playing field. So if they can do that for four full quarters, there's every chance they can do that to Brisbane again. But Brisbane has just gone from strength to strength since since that game and they do look just like an impenetrable side. I have I have been backing Brisbane from the beginning. Just when they play their best football, I don't think anyone can beat them. Um, and they're at home, so I'm definitely on Team Brisbane. I just spare a thought for Emma Race because she can't tell the difference between Lions and Tigers. It's yep. going to be very confusing for her. <laughs> yeah, our thoughts are always with Emma um, as we come <laughs> up against the big cats. Now, the second, speaking of cats, uh, final on Saturday is Geelong, who we've spoken about earlier in the podcast as just being an absolute shining light of this season, versus the Kangaroos, who I keep saying are going under the radar, but maybe they're just always good and so we forget about them. But cats versus Kangaroos at Cadinia Park. Gemma, how do you see it turning out? I think I tweeted um, after the draw that we we all lose knowing that one of these teams will go out in the first week of finals <laughs> because they are both really good sides. North Melbourne has had to play every other top eight side. No other team has had to do wow. that. Wow. And that I think is reflecting in the fact that they ended up finishing eighth despite being a very good team. And Geelong, we know, have just changed everything this season they obviously there were signs of improvement last season and then it's clicked for them they've had some player movement they've also just kind of got some confidence in them I think um, and Georgie Prasparkas is just unbelievable it's really hard to pick this one I think this is the hardest game to pick because on their day either team could just take it and run with it but if it doesn't go their way they can fall to pieces a little bit as well Georgie Prasparkis maybe has an ankle injury. We don't know whether she'll get up. Emma Carney and Kim Rennie for North Melbourne maybe won't be playing. We don't know yet. That throws another spanner in the works. I don't know. I don't know who to go with for this one. I haven't thought about it in enough depth to give you a, a call yet, but it is, I think, going to be the best game because 
both teams will be just ruthless because it is an elimination. Yeah, and North at Cadinia Park, I feel like I don't know enough about them playing there to to know how that will go, but I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be an absolute cracker. We would usually in the men's, we used to call this the Mary-Kate Nationally Cup because of the Scott brothers, and I kind of want to do it again even though it makes no sense <laughs> at all and it has no current relevance, but it's just that I see these two teams and I'm like, yeah. Mary Kate Nashley. It's just it's just in there from this podcast. It's damaged me forever. Uh, the final the final final uh, of the weekend, which I also cannot pick it, and I do not know which way it is going to go, is the Pies versus the Dogs. That's at Vic Park on Sunday afternoon. Both of these teams, I just don't know. I don't know what they're going to give us on Sunday. But Gemma, you might arguably the weakest teams of the top eight, um, not to put any fans offside, but I think we probably all establish between the two of them, um, they have won just one game against another top eight side, and that was Collingwood against Geelong by four points back in round two or three. So it they don't have a great record. So coming up against each other, it's like, well, who is the stronger of the weaker sides, I suppose? <laughs> You know, the Western Bulldogs with momentum can do absolutely anything. But if Collingwood's defence gets back to that early season form that we saw them in, where they were averaging 16.5 points against for the first eight rounds of the season, that blew out to 56 points on average against in the last two weeks. So if they can get back to that early, early form and they restrict the Bulldogs from scoring and taking contested marks then it's Collingwood's game to win in probably a low-scoring match. But if they can't do that, then the momentum of the Bulldogs may overrun them. It was hard to watch, actually, the Pies against the Lions because they really were equaling them in the contest a lot of the times. It's just that they could not get their forward line to function. And unless they can do that this weekend, I just can't see how they could, you know, get going or, you know, be a real threat because they've got the they've got the talent there. It's just not not firing. Yeah, I think the biggest issue for Collingwood ever since they lost that group of players, you know, Jasmine Garner, Emma King, Moana Hope and Jess Duffin yeah, at the end of the 2018 season, that was effectively their whole forward line. They'd kicked, I want to say, 30-something percent of Collingwood's goals across the first two mm. seasons and then they lost all four of them in one go. Since then, they've never really found a forward line that has worked and they haven't been able to find a connection between mid and forward Brenna Davey, such an important part of that, her delivery forward, you know, we know that she's a great contested ball player. We know she can win clearances. We know she can do all that stuff. But the thing that they really lost when she did her ACL last season was inside 50 connection. And without her there, they're relying on a Chloe Malloy to do it. They're relying on a Ruby Slicer, which then robs other parts of the ground for them. When Chloe Malloy is the one in the middle, who is she kicking mm. it to? You know, other players have bobbed up in places, um, but they just don't have that reliable, consistent target to go to that will always stay back and, you know, be able to take on that one-on-one opponent. And without that, they do seem a little bit impotent at the moment, no matter how strong their defence holds up. I couldn't tip any of these games if, if my life depended <laughs> on it. I've, I've maybe one, maybe Brisbane. That me. would be the only one I'd feel oh, come on. solid about. No, Sorry. Sorry, Tess. <laughs> Actually, a fantastic first week of finals. I think yeah. it's quite representative of the season. It's been, it's been great. I mean, I, there was a, a lot of discussion about having two seasons in one year, which is fair enough because there's a lot of um, other things that go along with that. But I actually reckon Gemma, it's been pretty, 
pretty fun. And there's been quite a few, you know, there's been some big upsets. There's obviously been some big losses, but I feel like it's been entertaining. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at the, you know, the goalless games and, uh, you know, some expansion sides struggling as a real negative. But it's actually, I think, quite a positive if you can separate yourself from scoring, meaning everything is <laughs> good or everything is bad. So think about in season one, two and three, when a team was struggling, it was coming up against another side that was still finding its feet. So defensive structures weren't as disciplined or strong yet, right? Whereas now we've got teams like Sydney, Hawthorne, Port Adelaide, Essendon coming up against sides who have been in the competition for seven seasons and have got those defensive structures down pat and they're very disciplined and they're very stingy. That's a very different story Mm. to a team finding its feet six years ago. Mm. So we're seeing more goalless games. So that's because other sides are just a step ahead of them because they've had time to do that and time to focus on what their coaches strategically are trying to say to them rather than just getting themselves right, which is what a lot of expansion teams have to do in their first couple of seasons. So people are looking at it and judging it and talking negatively about it, but it's actually a sign that with time the competition is actually getting better. It's just if you're only going to look at it face value on the numbers, I can see how you might miss that. Absolutely. Now where can we hear you this weekend? <laughs> I'll I'll be doing special comments for uh, Melbourne versus Adelaide on Friday night for ABC Grandstand. Oh, that's a good one to get. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky well, you... to have gotten that one. Do you keep your nerves in check? I think I'm pretty okay. I think I think I am notoriously unemotional. Um, so that probably bodes well for me doing my job well. <laughs> I might call you and put you on speaker during the Brisbane Tigers game and just get special comments, just like one-on-one, if you yeah, don't mind. I'm so you can do that. Happy to. Straight into the just... outer sanctum chat would be great. <laughs> I'm just going to find you in the outer and sit next before. to you. That's how I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good, that's a sneaky trick. All right. Well, Gemma, thank you so much. Stick around because we're just about to finish up. I've got to go and write a list of um, big cats and get, do some diagrams for Emma Ray so I can send her some pictures later. Um, and we've been chatting. This, I mean, there's been a lot going on and I, for one, can't wait for finals footy. It's, we deserve it. We deserve a good finals round. The finals week one looks absolutely like it's going to be super fun um, and we deserve it and then we can all go to sleep, you know, like, what's that lyric? Sleep when I'm dead or something? I think that's what I'll do. Um, no sleep till Brooklyn. No sleep. <laughs> no sleep till Brooklyn. So uh, there's only one thing really left for us to say, and that is go, go footy. footy. <laughs> I mimed it. I didn't actually say. It. I know. I that doesn't work on a podcast. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.